2: Hello, welcome back to the show. My name is Matt.
3: My name is Noel. They call me Ben. We're joined, as always, with our super producer, Paul Mission Control Deccant. Most importantly, you are you. You are here. And that makes this Stuff They Don't Want You To Know. Shout out to all our fellow conspiracy realists in the Northeast uh, and in New Jersey. In the southern part of New Jersey, in particular, it is time, finally, once again, for a cryptid episode. And full disclosure, uh, I am biased. This is uh, for a long time, but one of my favorite cryptid stories. And in fact, we'll see uh, in this episode, this story is somewhat unique in the world of cryptozoology for a number of reasons. I, I think for a lot of people... In the audience today, Uh, you may have first heard of this cryptid in an episode of The X-Files, the fifth episode of season one called simply The Jersey Devil. Do you all remember this
2: one? I do, and I am not going to spoil it for anyone who has not seen it. It's first season, I think. It's it's really early, right? Yes. Um, It's a version of The Jersey Devil that's very different than what we'll be talking about here.
0: turns out it was Joe Piscopo the whole time kinda so we're,
3: <laughs> we're talking about the uh yes the the real uh Jersey devil and you know we get a lot of correspondence with people asking us to to do more cryptid episodes to do more paranormal episodes things like that um thanks to everybody by the way who wrote in about haunted objects uh there were some <laughs> there were some pretty bracing uh stories we received that uh, may show up in uh listener mail in a few weeks but For today, we wanted to dive into some old-school stuff they don't want you to know. We're going to look at the purported origin of this cryptid and some of the sightings, and then we're going to ask some questions and see whether we can separate fact from fiction. So what better way to start? Here are the facts.
2: And the the first fact is, if you go to youtube.com slash conspiracy stuff, you can watch our video, called Does a Devil Live in Jersey? That's the first fact. Still mm-hmm. a great
0: title. Still <laughs> a great
3: title. <laughs> and,
0: and clearly uh, the answer to that is yes. I think many <laughs> devils probably occupy uh, the area known as New Jersey.
2: For, for the thumbnail of that, that episode, I literally put a, an extreme close-up of a horse's eye as the thumbnail. <laughs> I remember that. <laughs> Just, yes.
0: I always assumed it was a
3: fox's eye, man. This is some real behind-the-curtains uh, info here. Yeah, it is. Matt had for a long time a well. I I could say we, but it was mainly you. Matt had this collection of just hundreds and hundreds of close-ups of different creatures' eyes, mm-hmm. um, which was a, an idea. Oh my god! Oh, for a, uh, get for out! Another, I know, for another story <laughs> we were gonna do. But,
2: well, and also, you never know when they'll come in handy for, like, if you're trying to do a cryptid episode, sure. just a close-up of an eye. Or oh like on.
0: a Christmas card, perhaps, you know, no, a <laughs> birthday.
2: <laughs> mm-hmm.
3: or, or just, you know, uh, just a business card. Yeah. Just hands. What a flex. You give someone your business card. There's nothing written on it. It's just the close-up of, like... A goat's eye. Yeah. <laughs> yeah.
2: Well, but there's a reason that I use a horse's eye, and there we're, we're going to tell you about it in just a second.
3: Yes. Yeah. And if you are someone who lives in southern New Jersey or if you spent much time in that area, then you already know why we're talking about a horse's eye at the top here. You are doubtlessly familiar with something called the Jersey Devil. True believers who are around. Even today in 2021, we'll tell you this creature has been haunting the area and hunting in the area for around 300 years now. That is far beyond the natural lifespan of most large animals uh, since at least the 1800s. All sorts of people, uh, including Napoleon's elder brother, Joseph Bonaparte, have claimed to have seen this mysterious creature in this area through some set of circumstances. Yeah, Joseph was
0: like the Chet of the Bonaparte family, though, so we don't really hear much from him.
3: Yeah, or like the uh, Billy, was it Billy Carter? Didn't Jimmy Carter have a brother? No one knows. (laughs) (laughs) I'm I'm sure he did. I'm sure he did. Everyone's got one. (laughs) Unless you're an only child like me, which, you know, could be a good thing. Billy Carter, yes, famous uh, as a brewer of alcoholic beverages. But here's the thing. When we talk about the Jersey Devil, first we have to talk about the biggest badger in the bag, the elephant in the room. It does not look especially intimidating if you look (laughs) at the most famous sketch of it, which comes from a rash of sightings in 1909, which is part of the big mystery here. Um, What you're seeing looks as much like a political cartoon of the era as it would uh, a naturalist drawing uh, drawing a creature that actually exists. I mean, this maybe we can take some time, before we go into the written descriptions, maybe we can just take some time and and describe. Why don't you guys tell us what what you're seeing or what you think when you look at that 1909 sketch? It's like a Pokemon of some sort. It's got hooves. (laughs) It's like a camel's neck and
0: face, bat wings and little weird weedy kind of horse hooves and it's rearing up on back skinny legs that kind of resemble a crane, but it has hmm. hooves. And then it has sort of a a forked tail like mm-hmm. like a, like you might see a demon, you know, a sort of a cliche demon image
2: of. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. In a lot of ways this it's not a political cartoon, but it is a cartoon put out in a newspaper, the Philadelphia Bulletin. And I, just for my take, I see an emaciated horse, mm-hmm. like that's too thin, um, with yeah wings and a tail. That's really what I'm seeing, and that's why I I use that horse.
3: Yeah, and the and the four limbs, the the two front limbs are T Rex style. Yes, uh, so like this clearly would not. Walk well as a quadruped. And, no. and the Jersey Devil is often described as bipedal. One thing that I I love about this sketch, the reason I wanted us to have an excuse to talk about it is I wish more people would talk about the sort of insouciant facial expression of this creature. It looks, it, it looks like it's maybe a, a friendly it's got a friendly labrador right. vibe. Like you just heard someone say walk. Yeah. go gonna walk.
0: It got I a guess, bit of a yeah. come hither look perhaps or or or, or inquisitive. You know, it, it it's it's just like it wants you it wants to be your friend.
2: It's also eyeing the camera or the beholder like side eye mm-hmm. like looking right right at the camera slash the person illustrating it. Like
3: pose like this? <laughs>
2: yeah. Stay oh, like this?
3: <laughs> yeah, walkies?
0: <laughs> And then, by the way, I mean, like, the, the word you used, Matt, emaciated is absolutely right. But, like, there's no way those weird little skinny legs would support the mass that is that upper body and head. And it's also leaning forward. So presumably those little wings are going to have to flap really hard just to keep it balanced out. You know, it's uh right, absolute, just on the ground, just right? on the ground. Um, can we really quickly just talk about that ridiculous Jersey Devil drawing that's in the X-Files episode? I think it's like a meme unto itself. It's like a weird like naked person. It's with, a
2: bigfoot. It, it's a bigfoot with boobs. But a boob that, foot. Yeah, it's a boob foot.
0: <laughs> well no 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 not that one. No. Nah. There's there's just a really dumb stick drawing of like a person with like long hair and like arms kind of out with like no detail. That's the one from the episode.
2: Oh. Maybe I'm wrong. I've i There's another one I'm t- seeing like in an A B with a Bigfoot with
0: boobs, but the main one that I remember from the episode is like really stupid looking, like not scary at all. Just kind of like pen drawing of like a dude with his arms out and like long hair.
3: Well, in that, in that episode, you know, which is clearly fiction, right? Uh, in that episode, what they're attempting to do is make the real X files explanation for the Jersey devil be something more human, like, uh, Mm -hmm. possibly a, uh, Possibly a relic population of Neanderthal, I think, is the big, is the big reveal. But that looks nothing like the historical depictions totally. of this devil. Uh, the specifics of its appearance vary from one sighting to the next, which. Often happens in the world of cryptozoology, but it's got some common themes. Just like people might describe Bigfoot differently, but all agree it's tall and hairy. Uh, most people will describe the devil differently, but they all agree it's hoofed, it's a biped, it has wings. Uh They also say it has the body of something like a kangaroo, sometimes has horns or antlers. It has these little tiny arms with clawed hands, and it's got that forked tail uh, that you mentioned earlier, Noel. It also is very fast. It moves quickly, so it's tough to keep an eye on. It is a local farm pest terrorizing dogs and chickens and other small animals, but not quite. Humans, I think, are a little bit above its predation class. The big thing, the big final commonality that many witnesses describe is a quote, uh, "blood curdling scream." Paul, could you hit us with a Wilhelm? Ah! Yeah, something <laughs> like that. I love a
2: good Wilhelm. Yeah, a lot like that. <laughs> <laughs> That's where they got the original recording of that. And blood curdling scream. I there's so many interesting you know ways to think about that and where we're going to talk about it more in the episode like what could that scream actually be if it is a creature that they're hearing
0: yeah you know, it could be rabbits yeah you know, i see rabbits scream when they die it's like the only sound they make they're completely docile and innocuous uh, silent creatures until they die
3: and then all of a sudden they let out the most horrific blood curdling scream yeah death screams i um People don't talk about it too much, but it, and I think that's because the majority of people in the West are probably not killing the animals they eat these days. But yeah, animals, animals do scream, and they know when they're dying. But the, the stories of the Jersey Devil have been around for a long, long, long time. That's something of interest in fiction when, when they explore the devil, but it's never been photographed. Uh, It's been the subject of multiple books, films, and of course, uh, makes an appearance in the X-Files. So where does this creature come from? When did humans start learning about it? Well, if you look now, what you're going to see are a lot of references to a legend dating back to the early 1700s. And a woman known commonly as Mother Leeds, allegedly a Quaker and the wife of a man named Daniel Leeds. Some historians today believe that Mother Leeds was a real historical figure named Deborah Smith. Uh, She was a person of the Quaker faith, who was known to live in the area at the time. And so our story goes to a dark and stormy night in 1735. Mother Leeds, already a mother of 12 children, is giving birth to her 13th child in a place called Estelleville, which is about 30 kilometers or a little bit less than 19 miles west of a town called Leeds Point.
0: Isn't it funny that we've only adopted the metric system in the United States to measure bullet calibers and drugs? (sighs) Yeah. Yeah, that's it. Sorry, this is a hot take. Putting that out there real quick. Um, No, this this birth um, was rumored to have had some black magic involved, essentially, uh, that this 13th child, it's funny, the number 13 um, being significant in certain ways, uh, having been sired by the devil himself.
2: Yeah, rather than uh, Mr. Lee, just Daniel. And then there, there's all kinds of stuff that gets lumped in to this story where there are some tales that perhaps someone actually cursed the birth or cursed the uh, the mother, Mrs. Leeds, like a clergyman or Leeds herself, like cursed the infant before, like as it was being born or just before the birth. Some have reported or at least there are tales that the infant was born and when it was born, it was deformed in some pretty terrible way.
3: Yeah, which, uh, you know, definitely happens at this time in history, as well as in the modern day. Um, children can be born with any, nor- any number of things that might be considered minor to major abnormalities, stuff like something uh, like a cleft palate or, you know, uh, a- actually a lot of children are born polydactyl. Did you guys know that? They have an extra an extra digit or two on their hands, and they're just uh, removed at birth in, in many countries. So as, as you're listening now, if you want to do this, your mileage may vary. Yeah, no guarantees. But uh, take your hand and check for scars. Sort of um, if you look at the side of your hand where your pinky is, and you go a little south toward that kind of plumper part of your palm, Along the edge there, uh, there is a small but not insignificant chance that you may see a light vertical scar. If that's the case, uh, and you're in contact with your parents, feel free to ask them. You might have been a six fingered kid. Tough questions.
2: Yeah. Yeah. Well, and also the you know people died from fairly well now fairly curable things very Ooh. often. So having thirteen children is it's still a lot, but you know the 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 need to have more children existed in in that time
3: yeah because it's also a source of free labor right also consider the very high unfortunately the high probability of infant mortality when compared to the modern day so if you wanted to guarantee the likelihood of your lineage continuing then you would want to have uh, more than one child, you'd want to have as many as economically and physically feasible. But that's that's the story. Uh, we'll stay in the legend mode here before we poke holes in anything. So, in some versions of the story, this kid is born normal, healthy. For all appearances, at least at first, but then soon after its birth, it changes form, it's morphing, it's growing wings, it's sprouting hooves and horns or antlers, and it's something really interesting is going on with its head, it's elongating, it's becoming more equine than human, and this creature, this, this child, whatever it may be, it, it's freaking out. Uh, this is birth is one of the most traumatic things a, a human being will experience. And immediately after this, apparently old boy is experienced. Young boy literally is experiencing a second, very traumatic event. Transmogrification. It flies into the air. It lets out that soon to be infamous blood curdling shrink. And it either kills a midwife or it kills mother leads and zooms up the chimney and lights out for the woods Never to return, but to be seen in the in the barrens of New Jersey for centuries to come.
2: That's important to to note. It is the pine barrens, like right. these the legendary pine barrens yeah.
0: of Jersey. Uh, Sopranos rears its head again. So culturally important. Sorry, I'm a huge fan. I've been on my Yearly rewatch, great episode. Um, but yeah, the the, the it's true that this is like a very kind of you know think about it now. Like you think of New Jersey as being super industrialized and developed, obviously, and uh, but there are still parts of it that are still pretty rural. And this part is uh, it remains that way, pretty uh, rugged, and uh, you know, great place for the mafia to hide bodies, or
2: you know, for maybe someone or a group of people who worshipped different things. Yep. To be a little more isolated, exactly. Yeah. If if that part of the story was true, absolutely.
3: If the if the occult uh, does have a piece here uh, or a place here, and and you know it's true at this time, it was also much easier to go off the grid because very little of what we would understand as a grid existed. You could keep secrets, but I would argue it would be an order of magnitude more difficult to keep secrets or aberrant behavior under wraps in a township because there were so few people. They were almost all incredibly religious, or we would consider them so to date. They were in each other's business, and they kind of had to be to survive. But still, yeah, it was a very different world. And people were, the primary mode of communication was oral communication, right? Word of mouth. And when we are in a world where, the primary currency of communication is oral storytelling, oral communication that we see the telephone game ramp up to full speed almost immediately. That's why there are so many different versions, variations and additions to this story. Like there's one, there's one really interesting one uh, that doesn't get a lot of love in the modern day. The idea is that upon, the discovery of Mother Leeds or the midwife's body, a band of local clergy, maybe if we're styling on it, one of the clergymen who cursed the child, uh, they, they get together, they posse up and they go into the woods, into the barrens to hunt and or exercise this creature. There's no report really on what happened to that group, if they ever existed, except that they were ultimately unsuccessful. This would be a fantastic horror film. How has someone not made it yet? You know what I mean? You got all the heist elements. You got the folklore. Mm-hmm. You got a monster. You got uh, a like cult,
0: you, potentially, like some kind yeah. of a secret cult. Put a cult in there. The yeah, devil in the in woods. In
2: yeah. I feel like that movie has been made. We've just never heard of it before or seen it. Or it's just in a slightly <laughs>
0: different configuration. You know what I mean? this These are all kind of like classic
2: tropes for for uh, B-horror movies. Yeah, I'm just imagining Shudder just made something and it went into shutter and now it's gone. That's what. Happens. <laughs> uh, yeah, so
3: let us know if that let us know if that's out there. I for one would love to watch it, especially if it's really bad.
2: <laughs> yes. Uh, I just want to put this out there if you go to jerseyhistory.org, you can read uh, kind of a collection of everything we just mentioned there of different versions of the story. If you're looking just to get that, the full backstory.
3: Yeah. And, and note, a lot of, at this point, a lot of those stories are not uh, traceable to a primary source because they arose from this method of, uh, or from this time in which people were swapping rumors, basically, exactly. and gathered around the fireplace at night telling their kids there would be consequences to being bad. Uh, but that's, that's again, that's a trope. And uh, to steal an awesome pun from my friend Victor, we're all about supporting the tropes here on Stuff They Don't Want You to Know. <laughs> Thank you for your service. <laughs> yes. And and uh, that's, again, credit
2: where it's due. Um, but Sounds like some troped up charges to me, but okay, let's yes, keep going. <laughs>
3: yes, yes. Uh, let's see where we could go with tropes today. So ordinarily, folks, and especially if you're a fan of cryptids, you know this, this would be where the trail goes cold. Cryptids that have specific legends and origin points usually end up becoming commodified. They become draws for tourists like Mothman, right, in West Virginia, or they become the subject of tongue-in-cheek celebrations for the locals like Mothman in West Virginia. (laughs) But the story of the Jersey Devil It's a little bit different. It's distinct because we may know much more about the origin of this cryptid and its story than legend would have you believe. So today's episode, now that we have all the facts down about the legends, what is the truth about the Jersey Devil? We'll tell you after a word from our sponsors.
2: Terminix it.
3: Visit Terminix.com to book your appointment online today.
2: That's T-E-R-M-I-N-I-X.com to book online today.
3: Here's where it gets crazy. So before we dive in, wait, have you guys been to New Jersey? Matt oh, oh, gosh, <laughs> I, I feel bad. I, I know I've passed through,
0: Um. Not the turnpike. Not, yeah, yeah, that's it. Not, not any. No, I, I went to the. Yeah, we, 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 we all went through Jersey together in a car. What were we up there doing? What were you doing, guys? I'm, I'm completely blanking. I, I have a distinct we, memory of stopping we, <laughs> at Roy Rogers at that big, huge rest area on the New Jersey Turnpike.
2: We, we went on a tour of the Northeast in a Ford. SUV. That's right. That's I remember right. this because yes. I drove. No, you Because uh, my name was on the thing for a couple days, and then we we got it switched to everybody. Anyway, yeah, we drove a lot around that area. That's what it was. Yeah, but uh, I've I've spent quite a bit of time in Elizabeth, New Jersey, which is close to Jersey City, like the the the. It's close to New York, but um, never in the Barrens. Never in the
3: Barrens. Yeah, New Jersey is one of those states that has, uh, that can be a very different experience for people depending on what part of it they're in, right? Like uh, many people simply transit through New Jersey on the turnpike. That was some of my, my initial experiences there as well. But not for nothing is it called the Garden State. There, there is a, a lot of um, natural beauty there. And if you were in the Jersey area, before the early 1900s, especially if you were there before 1909, which is important. We'll explain why. Uh, it's a key or We'll get to it in a moment. But if you were there in the early 1900s, you've gone back in time. You had the choice. For some reason, you picked New Jersey. You might be surprised to learn that you would almost never hear the phrase Jersey Devil. Instead, you would hear about the exact same thing. With the exact same reports of cloven hooves in the snow and mysterious large flying shrieking creatures, but this thing would be called the Leeds Devil or the Devil of Leeds.
2: Yeah, because it's it's uh, focused on that tale and the family. It's not it hasn't been exploded out into this whole states thing yet.
3: Yeah, yeah, exactly. So this would this Leeds Devil. The name would be either in connection with a local farm owned by the Leeds family or with a southern New Jersey town called Leeds Point, which is still around today. Uh, If you if you look at it, you can orient yourself to Atlantic City Uh, Leeds Point. Is best described as this small protuberance into the swampy shallows of the Great Bay. It's just north of Atlantic City. It's surrounded by the pine barrens that Matt mentioned earlier. The pine barrens are a million acres of very dense pine trees where you can very easily become lost or very easily hide a body. Uh, You could, you know, if you're a teenager, you wanna go somewhere and like drink underage, smoke a little weed. Pine Barrens might be the place. I'm just saying it's easy to not get caught.
0: Yeah, it's also easy to get lost, you know. I mean, as is evidenced by that Sopranos episode. So leave a breadcrumb trailer or whatever. But Leeds Point was named after uh, a gentleman by the name of Daniel Leeds, who was the surveyor of the land. uh, And he eventually attained ownership of it uh, via a grant. Daniel Leeds was an Englishman who immigrated to the U.S. in 1678 and spent most of his adult life publishing the American Almanac. He created this publication as well, um, and it continued to print new issues until his uh, retirement uh, in 1716, um, and he then um, passed the business down to his sons.
2: Yo, just quick shout out. He immigrated to the colonies. Excuse me. Thank you.
3: Thank you. Yes, he he immigrated uh, to the colonies. He also, as we'll find, had some political ambitions and opinions that would come back to bite him. It, It makes sense that he would be a person of note because he is publishing and therefore controlling written communication. And I know I'm hammering home the differences between the primacy of oral communication versus the rise of of commonly understood and disseminated written communication, but it's important for stories like these. You're thinking perhaps, oh, an almanac. I've heard of that. Those were very popular in early colonial history that later becomes American history. But I thought Benjamin Franklin wrote the almanac. Who's this Daniel Leeds guy? Well, there's kind of a Coke Pepsi situation because Benjamin Franklin wrote an almanac called Poor Richard's Almanack and in 1735 he even gives Leeds a shout out in a very snooty way he calls Leeds quote the first author south of New York. We're including that fact because it is important it does further confirm that Daniel Leeds who is mentioned in the legend is a real person. And the next arc of the story, so like we have that established, right? The next arc of the story in the public sphere for the Jersey Devil really begins in 1909. There's a flurry of newspaper reports about people who are certain they've cited the devil and or the jersey devil, and these Reports are interesting because they're not reports that say some people have said they've seen something weird in the sky. There are specific police officers cited, members of fire departments, local political officials. They're all saying, I saw something. It was wonky. Out of these dozens and dozens and dozens of stories, they're all happening in the same rough area, right? This Pine Barren area. And they're all happening around the same time. And this led people like Brian Dunning over at Skeptoid to say, you know, based on just the physical writing about this at this time, the New Jersey devil may actually be one of the world's most well-documented cryptids. And of course, being well-documented and being real are not necessarily the same thing. Like, look at look at the extensive uh, sophistication and thoroughness of Wikipedia entries about things like the Transformers or Star Wars, they're very well documented. They are also not real. I, I feel like that's an approachable comparison. You know what I mean?
2: No? I think that works. Uh, no, yeah. I think that works.
3: Matt, are you an Optimus Prime extremist?
2: I no, no, not at all. Do you all. see I, a
3: truck and, and think <laughs> that might be an alien robot?
2: Uh you know, <laughs> it's too much really, of a face. It's, it's when I see those Jeeps, you know, the they look like Jeep Wranglers, but they've also got a truck bed on them. You ever seen those? Uh,
0: I would call those abominations is what I would call
2: those. Well, when I see those, I'm like, that shouldn't be like that. Something's up with this vehicle. Yeah. Yeah, it's hiding <laughs> something.
3: It's very sus. Very sus. It makes sense. I, I also, you know, there's something about, Automotive design, where you can clearly see the intention was to have multiple things going on at once, and sometimes those become the best argument for having a vehicle that's just the one thing. Yeah, just, just it's okay for a truck to just be a truck. It, you're right. The, right. Those
2: in those in PT cruisers, those are the only ones that I, I feel are sus. So uh, <laughs> don't care for those cube things either. Just for the record. Oh, the Scion.
0: Yeah, man. No, no don't like them.
3: <laughs> I, yeah, I, it was it was a weird time for everybody, but I wish everyone everyone the best. Tell us, tell us the weirdest cars you've seen, because uh, there are they're like cryptid autos, I guess. Uh, so there's a problem though. There's a problem with this story, this Jersey Devil story, this legend. Even even after we accrue some basic historical facts, it is an impossible story according to its own timeline. First. Daniel Leeds, real dude, almanac maker, local tastemaker. He passes away in 1720. That's about 15 years before 1735, when the devil was allegedly born. Secondly, um, as historians and researchers are wont to do, uh, later humans started prying into Daniel Leeds' love life, and, and they learned some stuff that applies to this legend.
2: Yeah, uh, first thing you should know is that he was with a woman named Anne Stacy. She unfortunately died in while giving birth to a child. Um, so he was married married to this woman. She died during childbirth. We can already see that perhaps there is the seed of some part of this story. Just the act of childbirth and a death. After her death, Anne Stacy's, he married a woman named Dorothy Young. And guess what? Mm. They stayed married uh, until he passed away in 1720. So there was, what what was the the woman's name? There was Miss Smith who became Deborah. Right. Deborah Smith who became Mrs. Leeds, allegedly, according to the story. Mm. At least on paper, there's no record of that person in connection with Mr. Leeds. Right. So
3: that person
2: did exist, but they were not they were not
3: getting down making the Jersey devil with two backs. At least Mm -hmm. her and Daniel Leeds. So there's another guy I want to introduce to the story. Much, much later, his name is Professor Fred McFadden of Coppin State University over in Baltimore. He did the work. He dug deep into everything you could find about the life of Daniel Leeds, and then also into the earliest mentions of the devil in some form in print. And some of McFadden's work was published in a book in 1973 called South Jersey Towns, History and Legend, the kind of book that you would see maybe for sale in the gift shop of a regional bed and breakfast. And it turns out that this date, of 1735, the people ascribed to the legend, comes from the earliest print reference to a, a, quote, devil that McFadden could find. But the location of this devil was given as Burlington. That's tricky because Burlington, in, at, at this time, is the name of a whole county or region. It's not the name of a specific town. Additionally, there aren't any contemporary sources connecting Daniel Leeds, the man, or either of his wife, to a devilish character of any sort, any shape, form, or fashion. So even this guy, professional historian McFadden, was only able to speculate and say, okay, maybe this devil mentioned from 1735 in Burlington is somehow a predecessor of the same creature that gets popularized way later in 1909. So the legend doesn't hold up to the timeline or the historical facts as we know them, which means we have to ask, where does the story of the devil really begin? We have an answer. This is not just the tease. We do kind of have an answer. We'll tell you after a word from our sponsors.
2: Terminix it. Visit Terminix.com
3: to book your appointment online today.
2: That's T-E-R-M-I-N-I-X.com to book online today. We're back.
3: Some of uh, our more cynical folks in the crowd today may have listened to the first part of this episode and said, you know what, I'll tell you uh who needs fake monsters when we have real politicians that might seem unnecessarily edgy but it is a good point and it plays a huge role
0: in this story it sure does uh it turns out that the mystery of the jersey devil could well lie in the murky world of propaganda or at the very least um smear campaigns bad pr let's call it uh daniel leeds was an editor and local politician which means of course he had enemies, anybody, you know, that's that's a double threat. He had the power of the press, and he was a politician. So he had many opportunities to make enemies. Most notoriously, Leeds uh, filled a position serving as deputy to one Edward Hind, the Lord of Cornbury, or Lord Cornbury. I love that. Um, he, he was the uh, colonial governor of New York and New Jersey under Queen Anne. Um, And in 1708, Lord Cornbury uh, was recalled to England because he was so incredibly unpopular and therefore Leeds, by association was also unpopular. And he withdrew from public office and never again served um, in politics.
3: Yeah, that's that's the thing. He's a British loyalist, which is not a particularly popular political stance. Uh, in And it's, in fact, an increasingly unpopular one as we get closer and closer to the Revolutionary War. He was then known, you know, he had kind of a stigma as the deputy of this disgraced governor. And so he became a scapegoat in a lot of ways. You know, this is this is someone that you can publicly deride. In fact, people who are supportive of the cause of independence can bond together by getting to, by you know hanging out and talking trash about this guy. You know, if we can all agree this one guy's a dick, then fine. Let's have another round of mead and talk revolution, right? Um, well, I
2: let's have some mead and talk leads.
3: <laughs> yeah, let's <laughs> meads on leads. So we don't know if they were drinking mead, but <laughs> uh, we shouldn't let the facts get in the way of a good story, which is sort of a thematic through line here. He was oh you know he was open to ridicule. Uh, add to this, it seems that several of his real children were unfortunately born with um, mental disabilities. This also made him an easy target for bad press from unscrupulous muckrakers and so on. So that's so this becomes a a political attack, right? We're demonizing this guy's kids. We're also attributing um, characteristics through, to him through this story, right? It's quite possible, and this is speculative, but it's quite possible, for instance, that the story of a child of the devil not being the child of Daniel Leeds and the inclusion of horns could have been a visual reference to cuckolding, for instance, Right. This is the kind of symbolic language that would be used and is still used um, in a different way in political cartoons and satire today. By the time the story starts blowing up in the 1800s, Leeds is dead. He passed away, but his name is still familiar with people who are alive and his name is intimately associated with British loyalists. So it's still a great target for the press because when they read Leeds, they immediately think of that. And then when they read devil, then, you know, it gets even juicier because you drop the D word. Fast forward, 1909, that um, deluge of sightings hits the news. But by this point, a lot of people have lived and died. No one really cares too much about Leeds. The U.S. is already a thing and has been for a while. So the connection lost some of its power. The brand name, if we want to think of it in that way, shifted from Leeds Devil which was no longer serving its purpose, to the Jersey Devil, which now is something people can more clearly associate, right? So what gives with 1909? How did this legend suddenly become a piece of newsworthy reporting for multiple outlets?
2: Well, there is a fellow named Joe Nickel, who is an investigator and writer of sorts. And according to him, it all goes back to a fun little hoax, very clever hoax, Uh, that was kind of building off of the work that the muckrakers had done previously to Mr. Leeds. And we've got a little quote here. In January 1909, the monster was revived by a hoax. Displayed in a private museum in Philadelphia, the creature was actually a kangaroo outfitted with fake wings affixed by a harness. To make it leap at spectators when the curtain was drawn, a boy hidden at the rear of the cage prodded the unfortunate animal with a stick.
3: E- so now it's it's almost like a, a circus sideshow or something you see in Ripley's Believe It or Not. You know the curtain. Yes. You pay your nickel or whatever. The curtains. It probably wasn't a nickel. It's probably cheaper. And the curtains pulled, and then all of a sudden. Ah! Blood curdling scream, flapping wings, thank God it's in a cage. Ha ha, that's great. Let's get funnel cake or whatever. Yeah.
2: Well, it certainly explains the illustration of the Jersey Devil, don't you think? <laughs> yes, I agree.
3: <laughs> it's uh but this the thing about this one is we don't know, we know what really happened. Nickel's work is sound, but we don't know the specific date of this exhibit. And it sounds to me like, this is only my opinion, it sounds to me like the amount of trouble they went to on this, getting a kangaroo body, for for one, uh, it it sounds like it was an attempt to capitalize on an existing craze instead of uh, one person single-handedly trying to resurrect this legend, Uh, which might be true because, back to historian McFadden, he found a report from an archivist in Gloucester County, a guy named R.C. Archett. Uh, and R.C. Archett was able to track down a photograph from 1908 that allegedly shows the cloven hooves of the Jersey Devil. Like it walked up on someone's porch and it left these hoof marks. This is the beginning of the period when all these footprints started being reported in the press. And that's, that's the important thing. Because remember at the top we said... Uh, there there have been many reports but there have been no photographs there have been a lot of photographs of uh, proposed jersey devil hoof prints but something was definitely leaving footprints all around this area as of 2021 it appears that we will probably never know what set off this renewed interest in the Leeds devil but there was definitely a political aspect to it. It is quite possible that this thing um, was a campfire tale or it began as a political satire or shortly after becoming a legend, it uh, it became used as a political satire. And then later people forgot it was satire and the mass hysteria kicked in and people were seeing things and, you know, equating it with the first thing they would have thought of, which is the tale of this Jersey devil But we're talking cryptids and we know that when we're talking cryptids, many, many sightings of animals that are attributed to cryptids later turn out to be misidentified natural creatures. So the first question you have to always ask yourself when you hear a story about a cryptid is, could it be based on a known creature? That's especially important in the story of the Jersey devil. It's distinct because it has basically an origin point. That's somewhat, you know, closer to the modern day. Uh, Secondly, it has a specific sort of run of time in the news and in reporting. But third, it's pretty distinct because of the sheer amount of time here. Given the length of time the story's been around, the number of sightings across that period of time, again, ballpark 300 years, it's incredibly unlikely that a single individual organism on land of this size could be responsible for every single sighting right
0: yeah but 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 at the same time i mean like you know it's one of those fish out of water type stories potentially where maybe you know we know some lizards for example live very 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 long lives not to mention things like galapagos giant tortoises that can live up to 85 years 100 years sometimes you know asian elephants ben you pointed out can live up to 86 years uh but Finding, But not to mention, though, finding an animal that can live longer than 300 years is a very tall order, not to mention one that would be able to survive in this climate. The Mm. ones that we're talking about that
3: would live this long would not do well in the Pine Barrens of New Jersey. Right. Yeah. Land animals, especially, you know, there there are maritime animals that can live a very, very long time. and, And you make a great point about the Galapagos giant tortoise, but it doesn't exactly fit the description, and it's not built to live in the Pine Barrens. Guys, yeah.
2: guys, it, it's it's a demon. It, it's immortal. It can uh, live as long as it, it wants to, I think. Demon
3: rules, yeah. Maybe that explains it. You're right. So uh, demonology, and demon biology aside, uh, if something like this existed, if it were secular, it would almost certainly mean there, ha- there would have to be some sort of small breeding population, maybe one that's occasionally on the move, which might help explain why these sightings seem to rise and fall across time. If there is a mundane explanation for the Jersey Devil, I, I propose that we consider our number one suspect the Sand Hill Crane. I've included a picture here just to get a look at it. All right, what you're seeing, guys, if you look at this picture, you're seeing two sandhill cranes chilling at a gas station. No other context. Yeah, I would run. I would <laughs> run. <laughs> yeah, they're they can be pretty tall. They're they're ungainly looking. They're land dwelling birds. Uh, If you pull up that picture of the Jersey devil and you put it next to a picture, if you pull up that sketch rather of the Jersey devil and you put it next to this photo of the sandhill crane, then you can see some interesting kind of commonalities. They both look like rather ungainly bipeds. Um, Technically, they both have wings, although the cranes are folded. Uh, They've got a slightly along the beak could look like a slightly elongated head. These things are also pretty, pretty crazily big, like they can be up to four foot six in height and the wingspan can stretch to over seven feet. So you would notice this thing if you're in the woods and you see it taking off or you see it landing or, you know, you see it just chilling like it's chilling outside of the gas station there. I love that picture because I wonder what they're waiting on. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> <laughs> yeah
2: yeah somebody would drop some doritos uh, but it's it is really compelling when you imagine being out in the woods especially in night in that area and you just caught a glimpse of something it's just far enough away the light that you have isn't quite reaching it you've got some moonlight you see something with huge wings just take off and you you know if you just see it enough, but you can't make out the exact dimensions, the exact shape, uh, I can imagine that Sandhill Crane being you know, m- misattributed to something much more sinister.
3: Yeah, yeah, exactly. And also, some populations of Sandhill Crane are migratory. So this mm. is just a thought experiment. I want to see if you guys think this is possible, plausible, or total bunk. Sandhill Cranes... Um, especially the the migratory populations in the winter, they'll band together to form things called survival groups, and these are interesting because it's not all related sandhill cranes. for For the good of uh, just a style on it, for the good of the gander, uh, unrelated cranes <laughs> will all gather together in this mass, meaning that for a period of time, specific areas of their range may suddenly become home to Thousands of cranes, cough, cough, excuse me, devils, cough, cough at once. So you could have grown up in this area, 17, 1800s, early 1900s, and then been walking around your normal woods and saw something unusual. There's a crane you misidentified and you talked to someone else about it. And they've also seen something. They're like, yeah, it's crazy. There's this huge thing in the sky flying. I'm freaked out. They're everywhere. Did you see? It's in the paper. The papers are writing about it, which makes it real. Uh, the, and the cranes could also be partially responsible for all those 1909 pictures of hoof prints or footprints, right? Because as snow melts, you know this from our Bigfoot episodes, as snow melts, any kind of footprint left by an animal will become deformed. Uh, Often it can look bigger than it was originally. Um, And there's a little bit of like circumstantial textual evidence. There's a guy named Alfred Heston in 1926. He was writing in Jersey wagon jaunts. Uh, He said that he spoke with residents of Salem who called the 1909 creature that they also believed in. They called it the ostrich devil. Ooh, interesting. Huh? Yeah, I, I'm, not, I'm
0: not digging all these bird comparisons. These are the creepiest ones, too. Birds with, with, that are tall and powerful with skinny legs and gangly necks. No, thank you. Mm-hmm. No. You got to
3: go for the neck and mm-hmm. stay away from the yeah. legs. Ah, fair.
2: But you can see how ostrich devil, you know, would make sense if you were observing just a bunch of these strange birds that you had never seen before. Yeah. Right. They're right. terrifying.
3: And there are other possible animal origins. There are things like the common barn owl. Uh, There's a guy named J.A. Singley who was writing with a delightfully skeptical tone uh, to the Galveston Daily News. And he said, the Leeds devil, this is 1887, he said the Leeds devil that is described as a bugaboo bird is probably just a barn owl. And we have have a quote.
0: Okay, I'm going to try to, Muster my way through this, guys. The bird has an uncanny appearance. Generally agreed, and this, aided by a lively imagination, they are the stuff of nightmares. Has probably originated the blood curdling story of the Leeds Devil, dude. I'm, I'm, look, I know I, I play in, I play up my fear of birds a little bit. um I'm certainly not like totally terrified of birds. I wouldn't necessarily run, but if a crane. Uh, let let alone a gaggle of cranes, whatever you call that, it should be a murder of cranes, uh, was assembled or ostriches or something like that, and they were coming at me, yeah, my imagination would do serious tricks, uh, and I would absolutely run, and that would haunt my dreams for the rest of my life. So I I think I'm with this this explanation.
2: Guys, have we heard the Sandhill cranes sounds? Do we know what they sound like? That it's blood curdling. I don't know. I'd be interested to play something here and see if it, uh, what, what everyone thinks.
3: Matt, I'm so glad you asked. I proudly present what could be either the Sandhill Crane or the Jersey Devil or both. Uh, listen along, folks. Let us know if you think this is blood-curdling.
2: Can you imagine a whole gaggle of those, or just a that? Like you were saying, you're describing large groups, Mm. and that sound is just occurring. Certainly would curdle my blood just fine.
3: Yeah, I was going to check on everybody's blood. Uh, That's a weird (laughs) sentence out of context, but yeah, you can see. Like at first, when it's just one, it doesn't sound too crazy, but it would be unexpected. But then you hear multiple things, and you think they're all coming from the same creature. Then that's that's pretty that's pretty nuts. I do also want to point out um, for any, anybody who's feeling pedantic in the crowd today. Yes. uh, The group name for a group of cranes is a sedge S E D G E. Also those group name things you always hear like a parliament of so-and-so a gaggle and, and so on. Those are not scientifically accepted. Like actual ornithologists and biologists get, I don't want to say weirdly offended, but they're 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 very not fun about it, and I love those group names
2: for things. I think they're yeah. delightful. Uh, like like a basket of kittens. Nobody ever uses that anymore. <laughs> I'm sorry. Explain. <laughs> what if you if you got multiple kittens together? It's a basket of kittens. That's oh, that? okay. Okay. No, I'm making it up. But oh, okay. I'm hoping okay. that's, <laughs> that okay. somebody would you, you're, you're trying
0: to make basket of kittens happen, Matt? Yes, uh, I
3: I applaud you. It's much more wholesome than a burlap sack of kittens. <laughs> which I'm glad you didn't go that direction. But but okay, so that's that's the call, right? And you can see if we put ourselves back in the 1800s, the early 1900s, you can see how hearing that in an unexpected way, and then later seeing a large flying thing could very well persuade you that the, the crazy campfire story you've heard since you were a child might have some sand to it. But the most interesting part of this line of thinking is simply this. It doesn't solve the riddle. There's no solid proof that dozens and dozens of people in 1909 were seeing cranes and barn owls. And I, th- I would argue the further back you go in the history of a region um, the more familiar people tend to be with the natural world and the flora and fauna. So it it almost seems less likely that after a certain amount of time living in the area, people would still misidentify cranes. So we don't we don't have solid proof. We also don't have solid proof that they weren't all caught up in an outbreak of hysteria.
0: A hundred percent. Yeah. No, there's no question about the hysteria angle. Uh, and also, let, let's not forget, I mean, the fear of Satan, you know, the fear of the devil itself is something we haven't uh, mentioned specifically, uh, or at least a, a bunch. But that was very, very real. And these were people—it reminds me of the movie The Witch, you know, where people are settling, you know, a very hostile uh, environment. And there's a lot of isolation, you know, especially out in the woods in these Pine Barren areas. And uh, these are folks who often come from kind of um, puritanical backgrounds. So it's very easy for this hysteria or this, like, you know, satanic panic to kind of set in. And the idea of there being some sort of demon out in the woods— could become very, very real.
3: Yeah, No. absolutely. I think that that's a very good point. Uh, Belief plays such a huge role in human psychology, and it affects the world around us the same way that AR technology affects your perception of the world, I would argue. Uh, And if you take each of these alleged sightings one by one by one, there's always still this tantalizing measure of ambiguity. You look at one sighting and you say, well, yeah, that could have been an owl. Look at another and you say, well, yeah, that could have been a crane. And in some cases, honestly, it could have been some poor schmuck's friends pranking him. You know what I mean? They're they're like, oh, man, Danelle is on acid again today. Let's get out the wingsuit. (laughs) I don't know. (laughs) I don't know. If I'm making that story
2: up, but. I love that idea <laughs> there's a group of people with a wingsuit and a friend that always does ask yeah.
0: <laughs> or <laughs> you know maybe ergot or something in the, in yeah,
3: and he never learns he never <laughs> learns uh, so maybe that's maybe that's uh, where we leave it because at this point one thing is for sure whatever the devil is whatever it was humans have had a long long time to figure it out And centuries have passed without anyone managing to conclusively solve the mystery. I believe that we have some very good mundane explanations or possibilities, not all all 100% proven or even provable at this point in time. But that leads, I don't know about you guys, that leads me to think, has the human species collectively decided not to let the facts get in the way of a good story? If so, I'd just like to say classic human it's the sort of thing the species loves to do, and humans have never needed help from a devil to do it.
2: Here, here. Wow. Okay. Well, I don't know about you guys. Uh, have you have you ever seen a crane in Atlanta? Yes.
0: Uh-huh. Yeah, saw one um. At recently, or God, recently, time, what is it? Uh, there, there's like a little pond across from Pont City Market where our office is, or it's It's more than a little pond. It's like a whole cute little area with like, you know, like a walking trail. And I saw a crane, uh, I, I'm like hanging on, perching on like a, a guardrail uh, in, in that area.
3: There are Dude. also herons.
0: That that's and probably yes, what it was.
3: That's probably what it was. Excuse and me. And they look real weird when they fly because when they're when they're getting super into it, they lean back their necks yeah. and fold them down, so whoa, it looks whoa, like whoa, they whoa, have whoa, this whoa. weird double chin. Yeah,
2: yeah. that's this is one I think I may have told this story on the show before, but in our backyard there's a very small creek. It's not really a creek. It's just where the runoff water goes. It's got a place to go, and. Every once in a while back there you'll hear some weird sounds. We we hear some owls near our house every once in a while. But not long ago, Diana was in the backyard and something giant. It was in the middle of the night and dark. Something giant spread its wings. She could tell it was wings, but she couldn't see it really well and it just flew up into the air through the through the trees. And uh, a couple couple of days later, it was this it was a heron. It's a blue heron, I think. Or gray. It looked gray.
3: Devil. I'm calling it. (laughs) Devil. Nope. I reversed my entire opinion. It's it's the devil. It's moving in nonlinear time. It's going to come after it. This is going to be the episode that breaks the show. This is the time. That we will finally have consequences. Wow! <laughs> it'll, be, it'll be the Jersey Devil that did us in. Uh, it's been a wild ride, fellas. Uh, it <laughs> was an absolute pleasure to work with you. Um, if you feel like leaving a, a comment at our memorial uh, after the Devil uh, finishes its work with us, uh, there are any number of ways you can contact us. If one or all of us somehow survives. Of course, we'll keep doing episodes. And to do that, we'd love some help from you. So please give us your suggestions. Your t- Hang on. This door randomly opened. Keep this part <laughs> in, Paul. I don't know why this door opened. It was the devil. devil!
0: Cranes are pretty smart, though. They can open doors with their creepy, gangly necks and pokey beaks. Really? I don't know.
2: I guess it depends on the handle.
0: Velociraptors can in the movie Jurassic Park. <laughs>
2: they're directly descended they are sir. That's what,
3: <laughs> sorry i don't know what happened think, oh we know ben we just we discussed that intimately okay uh and let it let us know if there are any cryptid stories from your neck of the woods that you feel have some sort of explanation especially if there is an actual undocumented animal out there we'd love to hear from you uh, we try to make it easy to find us online That's right. We're Conspiracy Stuff on Twitter and Facebook. Conspiracy
0: Stuff Show on Instagram. You can also give us a telephone call. Tell us about that, Matt.
2: That's right. We have a number. It is 1-833-STDWYTK. When you first call in after you hear Ben's lovely tones telling you to leave a message, please state your name or that which you would like for us to call you it's a weird way to put it, Uh, whatever name you want us to, to use when we refer to you, then leave your message, you've got three minutes. If you'd like to say something directly to us or the producers, please leave that at the end of your three minutes or, you know, the end of your message. If you've got a story to tell us that's a little more lengthy or maybe needs a couple of links or some pictures, we highly recommend that you reach out to us a slightly different way, the old fashioned way. You can always reach us at our email.
3: We are conspiracy at iHeartRadio.com.
2: Stuff They Don't Want You to Know is a production of iHeartRadio.